Luke chapter 1, we'll be reading verses 30 through 35. And the angel said unto her and to Mary, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. This morning as we talk about the Christmas story, I want you to see the Holy Spirit's role because one of the most prominent if not the most prominent person in Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2, is the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what we see. The supernatural takes place. That cannot happen without the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to live a normal life. I watch too many people, even Christians, that are just satisfied with the normal. They're satisfied with a normal day, a normal job, a normal schedule, normal children. It, as long as life is normal, that's good enough. I want something supernatural. I am a Christian. I do believe in God. I do believe in the power of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And if I have the presence of the Holy Spirit living in me, I want to see things that are supernatural in my life. And that's what we see take place in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. Let me say this, number one. The Spirit is behind the supernatural birth in these two chapters of both Jesus Christ and John the Baptist. Look what it says. When the angel comes, Mary asks, how, in verse 34, how shall this be? How can I have a child seeing that I know not a man? How does the angel respond in verse 35? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. And the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. So you have two people that it was impossible for them to have a child. Elizabeth because of her age. Physically is impossible because she was barren. And then it was even more impossible in the case of Mary because she'd never known a man. But look what it says in verse 37. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. This birth, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, we know was supernatural. We know with John the Baptist, it was supernatural. Aren't you glad for a supernatural birth that took place in your life because of the Holy Spirit of God? Here's what we don't understand. When we're talking about giving life, that only happens through Jesus Christ. That only happens through the power of God. That only happens when the Holy Spirit is involved. Now, we can see in the life of Mary because logically speaking, we say here's a virgin, here's Mary, and it's impossible for a virgin to be with a child. That had to be supernatural. That had to be God working and moving. But on a different level... We too need a spiritual birth to take place, a supernatural birth to take place. And I think sometimes as Christians we get frustrated because we want people to be born again. 
boy, how we desire, whether that's a friend or a family member, some of you have family coming into town, and you're hoping, you're thinking, this is the Christmas season, I get to share with them the Christmas story, and I hope they get saved. Some of you worked hard. You brought visitors last week to the Christmas program, and the place was full, and there were some people that heard the gospel for the very first time. You say, well, preacher, they heard, and the message was clear, and then we gave them tracts, and on top of that, I had already witnessed to them. I had already taken them through the Bible and shown them biblically what it takes to be born again. And they did not respond. Well, here's the problem. It's hard to be lost. It's hard, better stated, to get lost during a Christmas program because you're hearing about the birth of Christ, the coming of the Savior. But you're not dealing with a lost person's condition as a sinner condemned by their sin, for their sin, without God. And in order for salvation to take place, in order for the new birth to take place, you have to have Holy Spirit conviction. Do you remember when you got saved? What was the moment of your salvation? It wasn't a moment of knowledge. It wasn't a moment of recognizing God sent his son. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus died on the cross. The world has that knowledge. Most of America has that knowledge. Have they been saved? Have they experienced a new birth? No, that's something that takes place through the Spirit of God. And if the Spirit of God does not bring conviction and draw that sinner to Christ, new birth is not going to happen. We want to go through the gospel with someone. We want them to immediately respond. Now, there's only one problem. You can present to them the gospel, but you cannot bring them Holy Spirit felt conviction. And it doesn't matter if you felt that at work or in a church setting, after service, during an invitation, or at your house, in order for a man to come to Christ, he has to be convinced in his heart, his mind, and his soul. I am a lost sinner without God in need of a Savior. And when he is overwhelmed, overcome, overpowered by the convicting Holy Spirit of God, new birth takes place. How many of you have ever shared the gospel with someone? You open up Romans or John and you took someone through the Bible and you went verse by verse. And then at the very end, you gave them an invitation, but you noticed something was missing. What was missing? And why was it that when you got to the end and you thought, certainly this person is going to respond because salvation is a free gift and God is offering to them eternal life. And how in the world could they reject this? How could they turn down such a great offer? And they looked at you in a very cold, calculated tone and said, no, I really don't want to do that right now. What was missing at that moment that caused them to reject the Lord Jesus Christ? Holy Spirit conviction. And we too, if we think about our own lives, we didn't respond the first time we heard the gospel. We didn't respond the first time we were presented with our sin or presented with the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It took the Holy Spirit moving in our hearts, convicting us of our condition, drawing us to the Lord Jesus Christ in order to respond. Now, a birth, a normal birth does not draw our attention but we're talking about two supernatural births took place. When the angel came and said, Zachariah, your wife is going to have a child, he said, I don't even know if I can believe this. And 
God made him deaf and dumb because of his unbelief. But he said, humanly speaking, it would be impossible for my wife to be with child. Well, there's nothing impossible when God's involved, when the Holy Spirit's involved. Look what it says in John chapter 3. All of us have someone that we've worked with in our hearts, in our minds. We've looked at them and said, it's almost impossible. I think it's impossible for this person to get saved. No, not as long as there's a Holy Spirit. Now, if it were up to us, if it were up to the preaching, you say, well, it, you know, I just don't know if the preaching in our church is powerful enough. I just don't know if my testimony is convincing enough. I just don't know if that tract is thorough enough. Well, let me give you some hope and some confidence here. Their salvation isn't dependent upon any of that. Their salvation is dependent upon the Holy Spirit working. Now, what we do, we give them the opportunity. We get them as much gospel as possible. But ultimately, the Holy Spirit has got to bring conviction. And they'll have to respond to that Holy Spirit conviction. And how many times have we seen people that we brought to church and we hoped... We hoped they would get saved, but we saw as they sat there, they were hearing. Their ears were gaining knowledge, but there was no conviction that came with that knowledge. So they sat through a service where you said, boy, I hope they get saved. I hope they get born again. When you left, you even asked them, did you understand the preaching this morning? Yes. What was the problem? It's the Holy Spirit that does the supernatural birthing of a lost sinner. Look what it says in John chapter 3. Jesus Christ emphasizes that. He's dealing with Nicodemus, a very good man who knew Scripture, but he didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. And Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Nicodemus, except the man be born again. Now you're born, a, that's a physical, fleshly, earthly birth, but you've got to be born again spiritually. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, confused. Look what he does. He saith unto him, unto Jesus, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time to his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water, he needs not just a physical birth, but look what it says, and of the spirit. That's a spiritual birth. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Verse 6 explains that. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said that he must be born again. And then he refers to the spirit. The moving of the spirit is a wind. Look what it says in verse 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit of God. Aren't you glad the wind blew across your heart and your life? Because ultimately, many sitting here today, you rejected the gospel, you rejected the word of God, you rejected the influence and the preaching dozens, maybe some of you hundreds of times, but at some point, Holy Spirit conviction fell upon your heart and life. Listen, if there's anything that you need to remember about salvation, and I have people that doubt and are confused and live frustrated about their salvation because everyone wants to remember exactly what they said when they got saved. You want to go back in time and say, well, did I say everything just perfectly? 
Was I truly repentant? What did I say when I asked Jesus Christ to save me? Listen, it's not the words that come out of your mouth, but the condition and the desire of your heart. Here's what you better remember. Don't be so concerned about remembering the words. Was there any Holy Spirit conviction? How many of you can look back on the day you got saved, the moment you trusted Christ as Savior, and you can't remember much else? You do remember a deep conviction that compelled you to get on your knees and trust Christ your Savior. How many remember that? That's what you better remember. Because ultimately, this spiritual birth is a supernatural birth that is caused by the Holy Spirit. When we look at this, the birth of John the Baptist, the birth of Jesus Christ, here's what the angel told both of them. The Holy Spirit is the one that's producing this life. Mary, the Holy Ghost, shall come upon you. And there are some of you sitting in here this morning that you've never been born again. You have a head knowledge. But they've never been under any Holy Spirit conviction over the fact that they are a lost, condemned sinner without Christ in need of a Savior. And if you don't come convinced and convicted by the Holy Spirit, you won't be born again. And here's what will happen. You may turn over a new leaf. You may try something new. You may make a commitment to live pure and holy. But ultimately, without the Holy Spirit living inside of you, guiding you, directing you, convicting you of sin, your life won't change. You'll be hollow. Church will be a bother. The Word of God of no interest at all. You say, how can I change that? How can I solve that? A new birth, a supernatural birth that takes place through the Holy Ghost. Look what it says. Go back with me to Luke chapter 1. It's not just a supernatural birth that the Holy Spirit was responsible for, but supernatural lives that we see in this story. We see several characters in Luke 1 and 2, Zacharias, Elizabeth, Mary, Joseph. Then we see Simeon, Anna the prophetess, several people here. But you're going to see this, the Holy Spirit moving in each one of those lives Look what it says in verse 5, Luke 1, 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. Now look what it says in verse 6. They both were righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Go with me to chapter 1 verse 74, this now, that was speaking of Zechariah and Elizabeth, that they were blameless, they were righteous, they were holy, they obeyed the law and the word of God. Look what it says, chapter 1 verse 74, speaking of John the Baptist, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, that we might serve God without fear. Look what it says, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. Now, here's the blessing and the beauty of that supernatural birth. The Holy Spirit's involved here. He does the impossible. We see John the Baptist born of a barren womb. We see Jesus Christ born of a virgin womb. And we see we as Christians are born of God spiritually through the working and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, 
that's salvation, that's new birth. But there's something next, there's something more than that, and that's a life that we live as Christians. And too many Christians live a normal life, never see anything accomplished supernaturally, or never see any or experience any supernatural victory. I honestly am convinced that the majority of Christians are trying to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. Don't understand the importance of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. The Word of God is our teacher, our guide. It's those principles that lead us in life. But it's the Holy Spirit that helps us put those into practice. And when we try to accomplish that without the Holy Spirit, when we live a life that's not surrendered to, obedient to the Holy Spirit, you'll be a miserable Christian. You need the Holy Spirit. You need His working. And anything that we do has to be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, how is that we see each one of these people in the, this chapter, whether it's Elizabeth, John the Baptist, Zechariah, Mary, Joseph, Simeon, Anna, you pick anybody out in Luke chapter 1 or Luke chapter 2, they're going to be referred to as holy and righteous and blameless. How does that happen without the Holy Spirit? It just doesn't happen. Go with me to Galatians chapter 5. That's not natural for man to live that way. Let me ask you something. Even after you got saved, after you got born again, what would happen if you just let your flesh run its normal course? What if you woke up this morning and you, you just let your flesh have its way? You wouldn't have even gotten out of bed. That's the flesh. If we cater to the flesh... But here's what God says. God says, I want you to live clean and holy. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a Holy Spirit to help you with that. Look what it says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. This is what naturally, what we do by nature, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. Wow, look at this list. Isn't that a beautiful list? Envyings, murder, drunkenness, revelings, and the such like, of which I tell you before, as I've also told you, in time past. Now, here's the problem with our flesh. You say, well, no, preacher, now that I've been born again, oh, you better be careful because you have the same flesh, the same desires, the same temptations. The only difference is you now have a Holy Ghost living inside of you that can help you rise above and live on a supernatural level. We'd have to say, Paul, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. So when you see, although these people were really what we'd consider Old Testament saints because they did not yet have the indwelling of the Spirit, that would come later on in the book of Acts, the day of Pentecost. But at this point, although they do not have the privilege that we have in the indwelling of the Spirit, they have the Holy Spirit working and moving in their lives, guiding them and directing them. And here's what's going to happen. If you don't allow the Holy Spirit to fill you, guide you, direct you, you're not going to live a pure and holy life. You're going to live a fleshly life. Now, those are the works of the flesh. Look what it says the work of the Spirit is in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. That's all the work of the Spirit. 
So if in the Christian we don't see love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith, and meekness, and temperance, that means the Holy Spirit's not actively working and moving and producing the fruit that he wants to produce. Now let me ask you this, Christian. Do we think that Mary was a special lady, blessed above women? Mary's not elevated in the scripture. Matter of fact, the Bible doesn't even tell us much about Mary at all. We don't even know what kind of mother she was to these children or how she reared them. You know, there are so many other parents in the Bible that God gives us the details of their lives. But in the case of Mary, I think God withheld those details because he doesn't want us to elevate, to worship, or to adore this lady, but to simply say, here was a woman that wanted to do right, submitted to God, submitted to the Holy Spirit, lived a righteous and pure life through the power of the Holy Spirit, and God can use that. It's that simple. Look what it says. Go back with me to Luke chapter 1. Here's the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. It's not just a pure and holy life, but it's a powerful life. Look what it says in verse 15, speaking of John the Baptist. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall be, look what it says, filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. Now this you just don't see, but God said, I don't want to leave anything to chance. This is going to be one of my choice servants. In order for him to do what I need him to do, he must be spirit-filled. And many of the children of Israel, look what it says in verse 16, shall he turn to the Lord their God and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. It's hard to believe how many Christians live a powerless Christian life. There's no way to be filled with the Spirit of God when you are keeping or guarding known sins in your life. That's impossible. That's why we want to live a clean life. But to know and to depend upon, to say, I want to live a powerful Christian life. I want to be powerful, not for my own good. But if I am going to lead and guide my home, if I on a daily basis am going to witness, if I'm going to lead and guide this church and teach in this school and preach behind this pulpit, I need the Holy Spirit involved. Otherwise, it's lost time, a waste of effort, and fruitless in its benefits. The Holy Spirit's got to be involved. And too often, we, we literally live our lives spinning our wheels, trying our best without understanding it's the power of the Holy Spirit that is working here. Go with me to Judges. I want you to see in the Old Testament they did not have the indwelling. But if it weren't for the Holy Spirit, nothing supernatural would have happened. Now there are scriptures all throughout the Old Testament. We see it in Saul and David and Moses and so many. But we'll go to Judges just because the verses are so close together. Judges 6, 34. God used these men, imperfect as they were, but he used them in a great way by simply having his Holy Spirit working through them. Judges 6, 34. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Look what it says in Judges chapter 11. Judges chapter 11, verse 29. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. Go with me to chapter 14, Judges 14, verse 19. 
Now the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Speaking of Samson. Now let me ask you this. How many of you have ever heard of Gideon, Jephthah, or Samson? How many understand they're imperfect men chosen as judges by God to accomplish the impossible? I remember when Gideon went against the Midianites. Here's an army of thousands and thousands. God said, I want you to take pitchers and trumpets. And you're going to go up to the mountain. You're going to break the pitchers and blow the trumpets. And God's going to give you the victory. The Holy Spirit is the only one among us that can do the supernatural. Which means one of two things. Either we're dependent upon him and by faith believing in him to do the supernatural. Or we're satisfied with the normal. I need supernatural influence in my home, in my marriage, and with the rearing of my children. How many of you have taken a good look at yourself as a parent? How many have children at least five or six or seven years old? And you've looked at your parenting skills and said, wow, I'm kind of lacking. So you read some books and you went to conferences and then you just gave up. <laughs> now, you know, you have four or five kids and you think if one of the five, you know, does right and I can just kind of, you know, Basically point my finger at that one and say, look, look at, look at what happened there. It's amazing. You, you don't want to live that way. You want to say, ultimately, if this rests on my shoulders, I know it's going to be a disaster. But I have a Holy Spirit of God living inside of me that empowers me. And the Holy Spirit can do the supernatural in the hearts of my children. The Holy Spirit can do the supernatural in my marriage. The Holy Spirit can do the supernatural in my ministry. The Holy Spirit can do the supernatural in my husband or in my wife or in me. And some of you are married to a person that's not even born again and you're on the verge of giving up because you've forgotten the Holy Spirit can still do the supernatural. Maybe you have a child that's gone astray. Guess what? The Holy Spirit can still do the supernatural. Maybe you have a marriage that's falling apart. The Holy Spirit can still do the supernatural. If you look at the earthly factors, you're going to give up because we know our limitations. And that's what discourages us. But there is a Holy Spirit that's powerful. Go with me to Acts chapter 2. If you do a little study in your Bible, in everything supernatural that takes place, what are you going to see behind that supernatural work? The Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2. How many of you remember the day of Pentecost? 3,000 souls get saved. It's quite obvious that that's a supernatural work. Look what it says in chapter 2 verse 4. How did that happen? They were all filled with what? Go to chapter 4. How many, if you remember, how many were saved in chapter 4? 5,000. Look what it said in chapter 4, verse 4. How many of them which heard the word believed and the number of the men was what? Five, just the men alone numbered 5,000. How did that happen? Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost. Look what Paul said in Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Anyone used of God in the scripture knew their source of power. Romans 15, 19. Through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and around about into that city, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. What did Paul say? Paul knew those that had been saved and the churches that had been planted and the people that were discipled and everything that was accomplished, he knew ultimately, what was it? The power of the Holy Ghost. Now, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, go back with me to Luke chapter 1 and 2. We saw supernatural birth. 
we're looking at supernatural living. That's pure, that's powerful. Look what it says in chapter 1, verse 76. Something else the Holy Spirit does for us. He helps us live purposed. Verse 76, And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord, speaking of John the Baptist, to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Now, not only was he filled with the Holy Ghost from birth, but he was given a purpose in life, which was to prepare the way of the Lord. And here's why I'm convinced so few Christians actually live filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Because when you are filled, you will live pure. You will. It will happen. When you're submitted to the Holy Ghost, you're not going to be found on 6th Street on Friday night at 11 o'clock. You just can't convince me of that. The Holy Spirit will refrain you from doing certain things. But here's what the Holy Spirit's going to do. He's going to guide you in the right kind of living. But the Holy Spirit will give you purpose for living. And too many Christians live without any purpose at all. And I would have to ask, do you even have the Holy Spirit working in your life? Because if you can live your life as if you are a boat out on the ocean, drifting the direction of the wind aimlessly, I'd have to say, do you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you? Because the Holy Spirit will have you witness. The Holy Spirit will have you work. The Holy Spirit will have you impact another life. The Holy Spirit will have you invest in others. The Holy Spirit will help you in your home in rearing those children to live for God. And too many Christians, I'm not talking about a day or two out of the year, but literally years, the majority of their life, live with no purpose at all, no Holy Spirit ambition. And I'm concerned from the, the, the youth in our Christian school and those in our Bible college and those in our church and even those in the ministry, it is hard to find in today's Christianity anybody with any Holy Spirit ambition. Look at Mary, living with a purpose. Look at Zechariah, living on purpose. Look at Anna, serving God with fasting and prayer for 60 years. Every one of these people is filled with the Holy Ghost, and everyone was living life on purpose. And how few Christians in 2012 actually live life on purpose. You know what life has become about? The whole focus of life now, because we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, is provisions. That's it. That's the whole purpose of life. Provisions, more provisions. And you wake up consumed with the thought of provisions and better provisions. And when you get what you wanted to provide for your family, you found something nicer than what you just provided. So now you're motivated by a better and bigger and nicer provision. Your time is consumed with provision. Your thoughts are consumed. Your worries, your frets, your concerns... It's all about provision. So, 70 years in your life, you look back and realize you just consumed 95% of your time on provisions. Let me ask you something. Could that be a spirit-filled life? Could that be? Spirit-filled life is going to have you focus on people, not things. And a self-filled life Life will focus on more, bigger, better. One more thing will be done. The Spirit is behind the supernatural outpouring 
of praise that takes place in this story. Now, how many of you ever heard people talk about the spirit of Christmas? What's the spirit of Christmas? Go down to the mall. What's the spirit of Christmas? How many of you ever stood in line at the mall and there's 38 people around and everyone's... So I'm trying to figure out what the spirit of Christmas is. But if you want to know what the spirit of uh, this time was during the birth of Jesus Christ, that's easy to identify because we see a common denominator in each one of these lives. Look what it says back with Mary. As soon as she found out that she was going to be with child of the Holy Ghost, she says in verse 46, Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. Look what it says in chapter 1, verse 67. Speaking of Zechariah, he was filled with the Holy Ghost. He prophesied saying what? Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Look what it said in chapter 2, verse 20. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they heard and seen as it was told unto them. Look what it says about Simeon, chapter 2, verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was a just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Ghost. Now, read these two chapters. You're going to see the Holy Ghost mentioned constantly. But the Holy Ghost was upon him, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit, the Spirit of God, into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then he took him up in his arms, and he blessed God. Look what it says in chapter 2, verse 38. And this is really the key scripture in all of this. And she, speaking of Anna the prophetess, she coming in that instant, what did she do? Gave thanks. Hold on for a second. Here's the key word. Likewise. What's that mean? Like everyone else in the Christmas story. You know what the Christmas spirit is? It's a spirit of praise because each one of these people, when they saw Mary, when they saw this child, they said, this is God in the flesh. This is the Messiah. This is the Savior of the world. How spirit-filled are we when we live with no praise on our lips? For the most part, we live every day controlled by the circumstances, focusing on that, those things that are going wrong. And, you know, I'm, I'm nervous to spend this year, and I, don't, I can't buy the gifts that I wanted to, and we're not even going to be able to travel. And we're looking at all these outside factors that affect us and keep us from praising God. And when someone is living spirit-filled, now here's how you can measure how spirit-filled your week was, because when we're spirit-filled, something starts to take place inside. And you don't need to go to a praise and worship chapel. You don't need a praise and worship team because praise doesn't start with the exterior. It doesn't need an additional factor to produce a spirit of praise. A spirit of praise is started and developed by looking at God, recognizing who he is, understanding what he has done for us. And Mary said, it's, it takes a humble heart. Now, here's why there's not much praise in 2012. There's not much humility. We truly believe that God hasn't given us what we deserve. And he hasn't, thankfully. Because we deserve nothing good. When the Holy Spirit is actively involved in our lives, something supernatural takes place. Did you know praise is supernatural? You tell me what you did naturally this week. 
Boy, it's hot for Christmas. Good night, the lines are long. The traffic is horrific. The economy is bad. My family's going to be in my house for three straight days. I don't know how I'm going to be able to handle that. Now, praise takes place inside, and it just starts to build. No, you don't turn charismatic. You may not leap and jump. You may just simply get a smile on your face and say, God, you know what? I'm really thankful for the wonderful family that you have given me, the great life. God, I'm really thankful that you've never taken my salvation back. You've kept me saved for over 30 years. God, I'm really thankful for that. God, I'm so thankful to live right here in Austin, Texas, United States of America. I'm so thankful for my church. God, I want to praise you just for being with me. Let me ask you this and we're done. Is the Holy Spirit actively working in your life? If we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, why in the world aren't we living supernatural lives? Has the Spirit moved in you, filling you? guiding you and producing in you a spirit of praise. 